Hello again from Three Point Range. This is Mike Berardino, joined as always by the scout, Kimball Crosley, and the professor, Tim Crothers, the leadoff professor in his usual role, and he's going to talk, I believe, a little football. Indeed, but really, let's start out just by by uh, celebrating sports for what, what they are. And, uh, you know, there's a reason that we've all worked in sports for our entire lives, and that's because, uh, you know, there is, it's just, it's, it is, as I guess it was Howard Cosell said, the, the toy store of journalism. And, and it is, uh, the sports writing itself uh, has always been, uh, you know, has always come with its, with its certain joys along the way and, and sports reporting. And, and uh, there was something uh, amazing happened, as we all know, our, uh, on uh, Sunday night, the the Raiders and Chargers. Um, well, I don't know whether you guys watched it, but I watched it from beginning to end, and oh, yeah. uh, and uh, just the the drama of that, um, of the way that all that all shook down, was uh, was quite extraordinary. I just remember just thinking throughout the game, as as I know, we all had to have it in the back of our mind. I mean, surely this game isn't going to end in a tie. Surely it's not. And then the fact that it, by all accounts, could have ended in a tie. I mean, that all of that, well, everything that needed to happen, and I'm sure our, our boy uh, Jersey Mike over there was must have been must have been watching the uh, the the, Ve the Vegas Wise Guys side of that. I think that Vegas would have might have might have had to shut down if it ended in a tie. But the uh, the part of it that that I want to talk about, particularly on the on the podcast tonight, is the uh, is the moment uh, that that came to be known, I guess, as the timeout um, with uh, with 38 seconds to go when when the Chargers coach Brandon Staley uh, called the timeout and how the speculation immediately began once the uh, game was over and the Raiders won it. Whether or not Brandon Staley had uh, had cost his team a chance to tie the game and ultimately then get to the playoffs, and this is where we get into my world, the world of journalism versus the world of schlock punditry. And I, I remember waking up the next morning and, and turning on the 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 series of ESPN. Um, gab fests, and that that very topic kept coming up. Um, did Brandon Staley cost his team the game by calling that timeout and allowing the the Raiders to sort of potentially regroup and change maybe what what might have been a plan to just run out the clock? And in the world of punditry, there's just nothing better than saying yes. Brandon Staley was an idiot. He ne should never have called that timeout. What was he thinking? Um, half of them were calling for his head. Uh, obviously, this is one of the, the better young coaches, period. And as we all know, just sidebar, um, I have I offered to be the uh, the San Diego Chargers timeout <laughs> coordinator right. last year, right. and, and uh, could have saved Anthony Lynn's job. Uh, this none, none of this ever would have happened. But uh, I I still haven't heard from the Chargers, so. Um, <laughs> But uh, the, the, the bottom line on this one is that after I w waded through all of the 
crap punditry everybody just 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 wanting to pile on Brandon Staley uh, I then searched to, to find out because as journalists what we really want to do in a situation like this is find out what what the guys were really thinking what you know what was the Raiders coach really thinking what was the what was Brandon Staley really thinking and therefore actually piece together uh, the real story as opposed to just the easy story and uh, I got to credit a guy named uh, Bill Barnwell on this he's uh, you know he's a, a writer for ESPN.com and and he broke this thing down every which way you possibly could and um, you know with an actual piece of journalism actually actually uh, taking what what the Raiders coach said what Brandon Staley said what Derek Carr said every everybody that we could that we could interview at the time uh, to sort of break it down and, and the conclusion that he came to and that I I agree with is that uh, that, that the timeout did not probably did not affect the outcome um, because I think people were just ignoring the fact that that there were there were only four seconds left on the play clock when that timeout was called so another play was going to get was going to get run so many people were just assuming oh my gosh they, they could have just run out the clock right there and it's not true they it was third down they could have they they were going to have to run a play one way or the other and the only thing that you know, Staley said he called the timeout because he wanted to get a different defensive package on the field, um, which you know is is makes makes some sense. Um, I, again, it didn't really affect the the timing of the of the way the play when the play would have start the next play would have started, and uh, and you know whether or not the Raiders ended up running a different play that that still was not determined, but. But what was clear from the way they set up, it was going to be a running play either way. And so the only thing that the only thing that ended up determining the the change of the game was the way Josh Jacobs was able to gain ten yards on that play. If if the, if the Chargers had stopped him uh, at the line of scrimmage or potentially uh, behind the line of scrimmage, I think everybody agrees that that regardless of the timeout, the Raiders would have would have. Um, Punted the ball, and it would have ended, and then the Chargers would have taken a knee, and it would have ended in a tie. Uh, the timeout itself, I don't think, really had really had any effect on the ultimate outcome. Barnwell's story, as it was broke broken down, seemed to suggest that that uh, you know, however you looked at it, it was just going to come down to how many yards the Raiders gained on that play, and if they gained enough to try to kick a field goal, they were going to win it because they were going to try to win it because it changed their playoff matchup from the from having to go to the Chiefs where they were just destroyed a few weeks ago to getting a chance to play the Bengals which seems like a better matchup for them so it made it made some sense for them to go ahead and try to kick the field goal if, if it was there but not not if if it had been an, a no gain and that had been a 57 yard kick or something like that which had slight potential to be blocked and all mayhem could have could have happened there so anyway the bottom line with my with my take here is, and I know it's not, I'm not really breaking any, any huge ground, but it's just another example of, of just lazy journalism, which is kind of where we, where we are ultimately headed versus a rare moment of actual journalism where 
Um, we actually talked to the people involved. We actually tried to analyze it. We actually tried, tried to break it down using every source that we had available to us, even in these bizarre COVID times when we can't really talk to everybody we'd like to for as long as we'd like to. And, uh, and the, coming to vastly different conclusions based on, on actually doing some research versus just, just coming, coming to whatever conclusion seems to be um, the most TV click viewer friendly. And uh, I don't know whether you guys even thought that much about it or whether it was just one of those things that uh, kind of came and went, but, uh, but as a, from the journalistic perspective, uh, what we always teach our students here at UNC is to be curious and to try to ask every possible question you can to get to the bottom of a story. And thank God that Barnwell actually did that. And I think it, it goes to show just how different um, your perspective can be if you actually put a little work into it versus just going on TV the next day and saying, let's fire the city at coach. What do you guys think? Well, um, I pretty much agree with you. It's, um, it's funny because uh, Twitter went crazy over this. At of the course. Mm -hmm. And of course, there are a lot of That's arguments. That's more schlock journalism as far as yeah, I'm concerned. No, of course, of course. Mm -hmm. and, and, um, but, you know, it's, it's funny because I, I, I can see why people thought that. It felt like, you know, two punchers just saying like, hey, let's just like hold each other up and go the distance. And then one of them all of a sudden swings and the guy's like, whoa, wait, what? And so I, I can see why people felt that, um, mm -hmm. reacted that way. Um, the only reason I, I don't 100% agree with you is I haven't seen that definitive quote um, by someone on the Raiders saying, no, 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 we were, we were absolutely, you know, safely trying to advance the ball. And, and, and you know, that timeout had zero, uh, you know, effect on us emotionally or or strategically right but and, the jacobs run was an off tackle play i mean safe, safely running the ball could you could you run a safer play than that no that's what i mean no no yeah. so that no, but 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 that was like it, it was like you know we're trying to win with reason as you were saying and mm -hmm. i don't know if, if if like again i don't know if 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 the lineman just said Fuck you uh, whoops <laughs> said go with you <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna block. We're gonna curse on this show. We're gonna block a little harder, Editor. and um, you know, you know, and and do that because because and and of course, it just the optics just suggest that even though there is no do they really do they really? Well, I mean, do the optics yeah, suggest that that they would that there was something about that timeout that would that no, would no, no, piss no, off no, the Rangers? No, no, that no, no, just, just 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 the sequence of events, like the way they you know. It was it was such a busted run. Like it really was a a longer run. It wasn't just a little like okay, we got a few yards now. We'll do this. It you know, and again, it was just circumstantial. Is what I'm saying about the optics. I mean, you know, like that's what it looked like if you're you know again watching it play out. But, um, it could so, yeah, easily a guy had a shot to to, to tackle him for no gain. It could oh, yeah, easily no, have yeah. gone no gain. Yeah and, yeah, and then I believe that it, I and I believe the Raiders would have punted, and I think it would have been a tie. Right. Um, no, I, I think and the, I don't think the timeout affected that in any way. Right. The comment I guess I should have made is that, you know, it's funny because if you had been the uh hired last year as the clock management coach and you had survived the firing of Lynn, 
Mm -hmm. um, you definitely would have been the fall guy this time. It would have been really easy for Staley to say, like, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> I'm staying. I've had a good year as a head coach, <laughs> but that Crothers guy, he's gone. <laughs> so maybe you should be glad that that didn't happen. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was a, a very, it was hilarious to watch that game. And all I could think about was, was, uh, you know, Pittsburgh Steelers fans. And I can't imagine we've all suffered watching games for one reason or another, or especially watching games that like affected our team, even if they weren't playing. I cannot imagine just more of a ridiculous night for a, a Pittsburgh fan with all those fourth down plays. And every time you think, okay, okay, we're good here. And then, right. and then, and then it just was always, oh my gosh, just right. I mean, it's, there was something, I don't remember the exact stat, but there were, there were something like seven plays in a row that, that the Chargers, had they not made it, made the play, they would, the game would have been over. I mean, that, that is extraordinary. That is just, and yeah, I obviously you look at it from the, from the Steelers fans perspective, uh, the fact that they needed to, to to win a game in overtime just to get to that point, the fact that the Jags had to beat the beat the Colts, and the fact that all that you get through all that and all you have to do is avoid a tie, and there are what two or three ties every year in in the in in, in the NFL out of 270 games, and this game almost ended in a tie. I mean, that you just couldn't have you could not have asked for more drama. It was well, let me, it was let me wonderful. It, let me hand it off to Mike by saying this. Watching that weekend of NFL football games, I've never wondered if the game was fixed as much as in the, the sequence of events, you know, in some way, just like, it was just like, are you kidding me? Because if the start of the weekend, I thought they're overrating the excitement level here. They, they, they had put themselves in a bad position like the NBA does with, you know, so many teams in the playoffs that, you know, who cares? I don't care if uh, the uh, last wildcard team sneaks in or not. You know, and everything else is said, and and it was it was too watered down, and so they're trying to build up all the drama of like, ooh, could it be the Raiders or the Chargers, or maybe Pittsburgh will sneak in? And it's like, who cares? And they're like, no, 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 we're gonna make it really, really dramatic. <laughs> so enjoy. It. So what do you think, Mike? Fix, fix, fix. Well, I, I'm on record with the idea of fixes uh, being possible, but I don't want to talk about the football. I want to, I want to take it off the field here because oh. I think we've covered every angle even the ones yes. Bill Barnwell hadn't considered. But here's one that the first thing I thought about, having not watched the game, having consumed this purely by social media, was I think a lot, and I don't know how this falls uh, in terms of who was the, the, the most uh, outspoken critic of Staley or not. But Brandon Staley, I didn't know much about him until the wake of the John Gruden firing. So another Raiders-Chargers matchup uh, in terms of uh, news. And... It was right after that, three months ago, that Brandon Staley had the most eloquent take, explanation, uh, perspective on the emails that got John Gruden fired that exposed what a lot of people think the entire NFL may be about. Homophobia, misogyny, racism, etc. Um, and he, Brandon Staley, I'm just saying, I think that some of the blowback here, just, just a theory... It may have been over the top because a certain segment of this country of the punditry, as Tim referred to, has been lying in wait for this guy to have something that could really be ripped. And that's where you get a take like, can Brandon Staley recover from this? Of course he can recover from this. He's a very young man. He did a very nice job with that team. But back in October, I'll just say that 
Brandon Staley was the only person I, that I'm aware of that had that NFL podium day after day after day who said, quote, kindness, kindness and lifting people up and respecting people you don't know. I just think that's such a big part of our thing here, listening to people and learning about people, because I think what you'll discover is that we have so much more in common than not. So for someone like me, Brandon Staley said back in October, it's just incumbent upon you to set the example every single day so that the people that were talked about in those emails, that they don't need to feel that way, that they shouldn't that way. They shouldn't feel that way. And so hopefully this will be a chance for everybody to come together instead of go apart. Well, three months later, we'll remind it. This is my theory. Brandon Staley's not getting the benefit of the doubt from a great segment of the knuckle draggers that comment on the NFL the very next day or in real time even. And I'm not surprised that uh, that he would not get the benefit of the doubt. I don't think he'll ever get it again from them. And I did not see that game, but it sounded like a heck of a game. Well, Mike, that's a little bit of a reach because, you know, Staley's already been under a lot of fire for being Mr. Fourth Down, go for it like a madman. Not as much as Harbaugh. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And if you saw that game, you know, he made one of the more outrageous fourth down calls. I didn't see the game. His own 20-yard line, fourth and two, Mike. (laughs) He went for it. And, yeah, it backfired. So they've been dumping on Brandon for a while. All right, um, and and they didn't need to find look for another reason to do it. They could have just harped on that, you know, all night long. And I, right. and I'll listen. I'll listen to that argument. I mean, we all we've talked about analytics on this show plenty, and I do think that there there comes a time when you know I, I cannot believe I don't know this for a fact, but I can't believe that analytics would support would have supported that decision. Uh, and so I do think sometimes analytics can be taken, you know taken beyond if 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 analytics aren't aren't supporting that then uh then i'm i'm gonna have a hard time supporting that but uh but yeah i think i i think i think it's it's all about if it was all about the timeout then that was ridiculous if you if you're gonna if you're gonna start talking about maybe somebody taking analytics to beyond what what the numbers really tell you that's a, that's a legitimate argument. Then we can have that discussion. Well, that was a, a mega, mega opening point. And, uh, because I always come up with good fodder and then, you know, then we gotta, yeah. you know, then we gotta survive the rest that's of the true. show, but go ahead. That's, that's why you're, you're the lead off man. Now let's see how concise potty mouth Kimball can be here. On <laughs> point number two. Yeah, that was, that was strange that it happened. Um, well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we all know I'm a college football expert, maybe even a bigger one than Greg McElroy. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's saying so, nothing. Uh, yeah, exactly. I was so close on the Michigan uh, pick. Uh, and I did pick Georgia to win the national championship, which it did. Big deal. All right. So anyway, uh, so I'm going to talk about that. Really when did you predict that? Late in the fourth quarter? No, last week when we were talking about it, I was saying that Georgia, yeah, I wasn't surprised they beat Michigan, that they really are the best team. I predict they're going to beat Alabama. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Not a big deal. Anyway, I I don't watch a lot of college football, and it I, I'm kind of one of those fans. I've been watching a little more over the last couple of years, but but I I do tend to turn in tune in for that national championship game, and. And it was kind of interesting. There's a few points, little points I have to make about that. And one is that uh, 
all our three-point range points about football, uh, several of them, came up in that game. And if you remember, uh, I've talked a lot about pass interference and how ridiculous it can be and the penalty and all that, how severe and why it should be half the distance or maybe have a flagrant. And boy, did we have a great example of that in that game because there was a major pull down by Alabama and it turned out okay. <laughs> Georgia got the touchdown, but that was a great example for anyone that argues for full distance because it was like you got 15 little yards for what was probably what a 40, 50 yard play um, would have been a pass. And of course it, it turned out okay. Then we had just two crazy fumble situations where, where the Alabama quarterback, you know, looked like uh, he wasn't throwing the ball and they called it a pass. And then of course the Georgia quarterback, you know, looked like it was. And I thought the Georgia was sunk at that point when they called that ridiculous fumble call. And if you remember my point on that one is I've said that, that is one of the toughest judgment calls. And, and it, it, and it seems to be so ever since the tuck rule, you know, or before then it's always a game changer and it feels wrong. And I've argued for change the whole passing rule and just say, and the grounding too. Like I hate when a guy, you know, looks like, like I almost think quarterbacks can learn to just, as you're kind of falling, just make an awkward attempt to throw it forward. And, and, uh, you'd be okay or, or sort of an awkward temp and throw it at somebody's feet, two feet away from you if it's running back blocking. And it's just ridiculous. And I've said, hey, just make it any ball that goes down out of your hands, behind the line of scrimmage, fumble, forward, backwards, whatever. Th looks like you're throwing, looks like you're fumbling, whatever. Anything that goes, you know, you, you throw past the line of scrimmage, that's an incomplete pass. Let's move on. Simple, simple, simple. Because I thought that game was going to swing on that, which brings up my next point, which is, Momentum doesn't really exist except, you know, uh, as part of a script to someone watching the game. Because if ever there was a momentum disaster, it was that play when Georgia lost the ball there and then lost the lead in this very tight defensive battle. And, of course, that fumble recovery was ridiculous and so nonchalant. <laughs> it's so undeserving, so unfair. And we're all thinking, like, Mike's thinking the fix is in for Alabama again. Um, and so that was ridiculous. But my final point is I do tend to watch the film room and I'm, I've, I've tried to push for this in past years. And so like they do it. It's been an interesting thing when they bring a few coaches in there and they dissect the game on a different channel, like ESPN two or whatever it is, instead of the regular broadcast. And these coaches talk about the game and they show different angles. And I've really enjoyed that because I've, I've wanted to like, you know, get more of what, what's going on in the football game. And I don't really have a, a, a rooting interest usually because I don't really care which team is going to win. But the film room this year, I, I thought they'd upgraded. I thought they'd finally get it right. It was more of a disaster than ever for anyone that tuned into it because it was Jimbo Fisher. And for some reason, he had like a, a half-empty auditorium full of, of guys around him. But he was kind of only one babbling in, in his southern drawl, and it was hard to hear what he was even saying. And it was like, what is going on here? And let me just give ESPN or anyone some advice. I am telling you, if you had Tim Crothers, Mike Berardino, or, or maybe me sitting in that room with the coach and saying, one or two coaches, and saying, like, all right, explain what happened there. Because... Because, face it, we don't know what's really going on in the football game, and they, they tell us straight and they show. But what they never show is, like, 
well, you know, we sent three guys out here and we put them in and this guy was open. And then it was like, okay, so why don't they do that every time? <laughs> How do you stop that? What's what's the opposite of that? Like, where did the defense go wrong? What are the what are the key, you know, points to what makes a play not work or work? And that would be fascinating. But instead, if you ever watch the film room, it's like stuff that's way over your head and it's like speaking a different language. And no one's like really trying to take it for the everyman and say like, hey, rein it in for me, rein it in so I can get more out of this. Um, and I don't know if you guys have ever tuned, in, tuned into the film room, but if you've ever had uh, a similar thought on that. So I will throw that out to you guys now. Well, I'll just, I'll just jump in and say that when you say speaking a different language, I've been around Jimbo Fisher a couple of times and he <laughs> is speaking a different language. I, I really don't think it's possible to quote him accurately. Um, but nice fella. And he makes about 10 million a year. But, um, yeah, I, I, they could do better with that. The thing, the broadcast piece that I brought to my complaint that I don't want to belabor it, but I'll belabor it here, is that I, I keep waiting to understand why Chris Fowler is the voice of college football on ESPN, <laughs> which, owns e, which owns college football. I keep waiting to figure that out. I'm, wait, I'm waiting for him to grow into the, the role. He's not growing into the role. And um, he should just go away. He was a very nice studio guy. He was good in the studio. He's good at onset, you know, on site. We have telling Lee Corso to put the the hat on and the head on, but uh, he just doesn't have it. And and it just there are plenty of other play-by-play -play people they could find. This guy, among active play-by-play -play people, would probably be about number forty on my list. I'd rather hear, uh, you know, Beth Mowens call this game. Then Chris Fowler, he can't. He should be fine. He he can't rise to the moment. He's just even when he tries to growl and yell and get all Keith Jacksony on us, it's terrible. Huh. Okay. That's what I said uh, about Chris Fowler. Okay. Uh, I, yeah, I I I don't necessarily. I I have grudgingly kind of kind of accepted those those two, even though I. You know, Herb Street's fine. Yeah. He's fine, even with that weird comment he got crushed for on on two hours of sleep recently. He's fine. Chris mm -hmm. Fowler does not sound like he sounds like your. He's you know, he's about your eighth choice on the on a college football Saturday or whatever. He's he's not the he's not the show pony for that. Right. It's a big job. It is a big job, and I have, I know he obviously has has many many issues and uh, and. And not not the least of which being that he's very old now, but but man, there's just there's in my mind there's still no no better relatively recent college football voice than the man Brent Musburger. <laughs> That's my guy. That's who I. I mean, even when you just hear a little clip of him on a on on you know the regular broadcast, I just think that's you know you want somebody who. You know, we, we always talk about you know who kind of who kind of as you're suggesting makes you makes you feel like all right, this is a huge game. This is a you know, I hear that voice that that immediately clicks me into that that, that this is a huge game, um, and and I, you know I want I want you're looking live. That's what I want. Uh, and yeah, I'm not I'm not getting that out of Chris Fowler. I don't I don't have the the obvious hatred that you have for him. Um, and I real and I realize that we have, I I realize that we have done nothing to address Kimball's point, but I guess Kimball's point was basically that that he's he's right about 
so many things and that uh that's what he just wanted to is. pat himself on the back that's what a point so, is yeah. tell me about the film room tim do you ever watch the film never room? i'd love to comment on that but i, I have no interest in it i i just yeah the it fumble rule it, tell me about the fumble too rule distracting thing. too distracting huh the fumble rule I'm, I'm with you on the fumble rule I, I i think that that makes some sense and my other thing based on all these overtimes that we and i know we've discussed overtimes a lot on this show but it suddenly struck me is there some reason why we can't just play out an nfl overtime for 10 minutes every single time that i think it would solve so many issues um, with this whole, you know, well, you score seven and then you don't get a chance to get the ball yeah, back. Yeah. Why can't we just play 10 minutes? It's like all these other sports, you just play out the overtime. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, it's like NBA overtime. You just play out the overtime. Um, you know, Major League Baseball, you're going to play out the full innings or the, the extra inning. Why can't we just say in the NFL, you're going to play 10 minutes? And all right, if a team can put together a 10-minute drive and kick a field goal, more power to them. But if otherwise I say, let's play the whole 10 minutes. It just, I think it solves so many problems. So you remember the, uh, uh, the early days of graphics and, you know, it's fun to go back and watch games from the seventies sometimes, uh, and see the old graphics. And they had a graphic they used to like love to put up there. I don't see it anymore. I don't even think they use this term, but there was a time in the NFL when any time you got to overtime, they would remind you over and over with large yellow graphics, sudden death. Mm -hmm. right? It was sudden death overtime, which is just a horrible term and just overwhelming for the eight-year-old me because there was a game that was in overtime around 1976, 77. And I believe it was like a, when the St. Louis Cardinals were a thing. And I believe it was their tight end. I, I may be conflating this with J.V. Kane, who actually did die in a sudden way. But uh, with, God rest his soul. But there was a player who was down on the screen, and they put that very large caption there. No. Uh, sudden death. That is, that is, and I was just, I just turned to my parents, and I was like, what kind of game is this? And I'm still. Rollerball. <laughs> It was just like, and so maybe you just play, you play, play, play until there is an actual sudden death. And what would the ratings be for that? So, yeah, I, I'm still not over it, obviously. Uh, well, I think we're, we've exhausted that point. Uh, it has expired. We're two-thirds of the way through. A three-point range, another three-point range. We thank you for listening. This is you can hear us uh, through your podcast, your favorite podcast outlets, including Amazon Music and Google and Stitcher and Spotify. Uh, we have that th uh, three-point range, the Substack that you are welcome to subscribe to and get direct directly into your inbox. And of course, we have a three-point range Facebook or Meta page or whatever they're calling it this week, and we invite you to like that, and uh, we'll get the link up there as soon as we can. So thanks for that. Um, third point, um, I guess I kind of segue into this with a little, I'm not going to blast Chris Fowler again, but it was part of the job, part of the job really? for Chris Fowler or maybe Holly Rowe or Molly McGrath, probably Chris Fowler's job, in this role was to balance things out a little bit. There was a, obviously around the country that a whole lot of Georgia football fans came out of the woodwork and everybody, you know, about the 41 year wait. And um, 
Herschel Walker, of course, being back in the news, and we're going to get more Herschel. So there's a lot of people glomming on to Georgia football right now for a variety of reasons. But uh, I, unless I missed it, and I have to admit, I didn't hear every single word uttered on that telecast. But I'm just going to remember that, well, I'm going to say that Frank Broyles, who was very good uh, with Keith Jackson for many, many a year on, on uh, college football telecasts, he used to say, they remember November. And meaning that if you win in November, the alumni are always happy with you. Well, this broadcast totally forgot Georgia's November. And it wasn't about on-the-field stuff. There were a couple of things. One in particular I thought was is still pertinent and has to be part of the story. And I just will just r- remind our listeners that in November, in a span of two weeks, Georgia had two defensive players arrested. And um, they're not insignificant situations. Uh, Adam Anderson was the linebacker, a senior linebacker, one of the best players on the team, a potential first rounder, and uh, was leading the team with five sacks at the time. And uh, he was he turned himself into police on November 10th, and he was facing a felony rape charge after of a 21-year-old woman in an Athens, Georgia apartment. Um, he had played in the Florida game two days after that incident, and um, there was the usual timeline denials from Georgia and Kirby Smart at the time. Uh, and Adam Anderson never returned to the team, suspended indefinitely. But a uh, second accuser came came out later that in 2020, while he was also playing at Georgia, there had been uh, an unwanted uh, encounter and uh, another potential rape allegation there. So Adam Anderson's name, I'm not sure that was uttered in a four-hour telecast, but I think it's part of the story. And then two weeks after that, a freshman defensive back who was getting to play some for Georgia named Nyland Green, he um, was arrested uh, in the early morning hours after their Tennessee game. He was facing three felony charges, including damage to property and carrying a weapon in a school safety zone. He was waving BB guns around and firing them at windows, dorm windows, etc. Now, how do you work that into a telecast well, I, I don't know. That's part of the challenge. Maybe that's Reese Davis at halftime. I don't know. But it seems like it, it needs to be mentioned in there somewhere, especially Adam Anderson, and just in terms of how that affected people who had to step forward and, and help them carry through. This was one, probably one of their five best players on an incredibly, insanely talented team. Uh, but I don't believe it was ever mentioned. So I don't really have too much more to say on that. I just thought it should be said that um, – you know, it's not all Stetson Bennett the fourth and goofy pictures from when he was a high schooler with Kirby, although those are fun to show. There was another aspect of this story, the overall narrative of Georgia getting it to be a championship level team again, and uh, Adam Anderson was part of that. So I thought I would mention that. What At what point do you guys feel cheated as viewers or as consumers of modern sports when the inconvenient aspect of of a of a victory is glossed over or entirely ignored what um what are your demands or requirements there well luckily watching the film room that's exactly what they did all those coaches were sharing stories of all the guys that they've had over the years get in trouble and how common it is for no no mike no that didn't happen no um and that just goes with uh the territory i think with uh 
you know, football, when you have so many guys and it's a pretty violent game and these are not saints. <laughs> hey, yeah. we talked about it before when I talked about Urban Meyer, like, you know, uh, what he did was, you know, minor compared to what so many players do day in, day out, year after year. Yeah, I think it it's it's a tough call because uh yeah, it certainly does not it doesn't it's not part of the the model for ESPN to be bringing up anything negative in the midst of their of their, you know, monumental moment of of covering the the title game. Um yeah, I I I I can't say honestly that I that I missed it, and I know we started off this podcast talking about good journalism. And you know, maybe when you're writing the story of the season, uh, you are you are discussing that as part of the story. You certainly are discussing that as part of the story. I guess I just don't know whether a championship game broadcast. Um, you know, I see what you're trying to say, Mike. That that. You know, so there were guys playing in that game that wouldn't necessarily have had the same role had had Adam Anderson still been in the game. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I, well, let's I, fold that in with another story from the weekend. You know, Ben Roethlisberger, yeah. part of all of what we're mm-hmm. talking about, completely like, forgotten. His last game, his last game, and it's been this this victory tour, this beautiful emotional. You know, and of course, a lot of people forget you know, horrible things from his past. It's just been washed over and, and very rarely. With I mean, it is glossed over. I, I, I was actually looking out for that some during this, during this craziness and somebody mentioned it. It's glossed, it's glossed over. It's somebody did say, you know, obviously he's had, you know, he's had his troubles in the past, that kind of stuff. And that's, you know, that's what we're going to get. You know, we're, they're not, we're, we're never going to get specifics on, you know, on, on an NFL game, that's just not going to happen. It's just not in the best, best interest. All of these, all of these TV outlets are cowed by the fact that they can't, they can't afford to piss off the people who are going to ultimately decide who gets to broadcast these games in the next contract. I mean, it's just not going to happen. So, uh, you know, there's only so far that, a, that broadcasters can even think about going. Uh, it is the beauty of, of being a, you know, of being a print journalist is you don't, you're not tied to, you're not tied to the game in any contractual way. So you don't have to, you don't have to be uh, careful about what you, what you can and cannot say. Um, But I do think that's, that's a piece of it. There's just, it just doesn't benefit ESPN in any way, shape or form other than those of us who are looking for good journalism to, uh, to delve into that, into the, the negative side of what's going on behind the scenes on these teams because they want to they want to keep broadcasting the national championship game and and that's that's a piece of their it's got to be a piece of their calculus i think well uh it really hit me between the eyes as well when i kept hearing multiple times uh kirk herbstreet had enough airtime to let us all know that will anderson of alabama the Alabama linebacker named Anderson uh, would be a great choice for ambassador of college football. I <laughs> got to hear that multiple times that oh, he's yeah. anointing him, the ambassador. And um, what's, and I'd also say, I respect Holly Rowe. I think she would have the ability to work that little sidebar into a 45 second standup during a replay review or something. 
It, mm-hmm. There's enough time in a four-hour broadcast, and there's enough talent in the talent to delicately, carefully, however you want to do it, without dragging anybody unnecessarily. But still, he's facing these charges. This is one of their best players. Had, had Adam Anderson not been arrested and charged with felony rape, he was probably... One of his name was probably going to be mentioned 50 times in that telecast because he was one of the best players on one of the best defenses we've seen in some time. But um, it is <laughs> it is frustrating when you you know it can be done. Uh, I, I Mike Tarico would know how to do that. Um, there are there are professionals who even with these deals with the devil that get made where you can mention the inconvenient truth. And I just thought it it was there and it was it needed to be said at some point and it just wasn't. And it's bothersome to me. And it's a, you know, you have to uh, in some ways suspend your 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 requirements, your ethical requirements, or your your you know, we're trained to be to, to try to be balanced on these things. And you know it, even when you're writing it too one sided, you, you you feel a little dirty. Well as a, as a viewer if you just realize something is completely one-sided. I, and I suppose if we went back and looked at the Barry Switzer Oklahoma teams that SI put on the cover uh, for all the arrests that were happening back in the mid-'80s, uh, I don't know how much those things were mentioned on telecasts. I could be wrong. But um, if that's what it is, if that's what TV is, then we should just realize that you're only getting half the story. You're only getting the, the good part of the story, the, the warm and fuzzy, up close and personal. You're not going to get... The, the whole story, whether it's, you know, with warts and all. So Are you saying this because it's the national championship game? Because let's face it, this kind of stuff happens every week in sure. every program for every game. So well, we I, be, I don't know. About, well, to, no, I'll say it. No, do it for, for the, ah, for the, you know, the, a, fel- the, a felony rape charge uh, does not happen every week in every program. Um, it might happen in all of college football, a handful of times, in a right, I'm just saying period. negative stuff. Guys get kicked off the team all the time. Alabama we, kicked we the player that. off and and it kicked the player off a linebacker for DUI back in uh-huh. in in August. And I don't expect that guy's name to be mentioned over and over because he was a reserve. He wasn't important. This guy was important. And come draft day, if this thing does somehow get resolved, whether it's resolved or not, he was he was a projected first rounder. That's part of the draft day story, perhaps somewhere uh-huh. in there. But it's not going to be mentioned. As if he remains in limbo, I don't know. It's just frustrating, and and this is this is where I bring my frustrations, right here. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you, do you feel better? No, no, I don't. I feel, <laughs> I, I feel even worse. But thanks for listening, and uh, thanks to all of you for listening. We're gonna wrap it up now. This has been uh, Three Point Range for the Scout Kimball Crosley and the Professor Tim Crothers. This has been Mike Berardino. Have a great week.